Action Park Media. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. My guest today is Sean Avery. He had a 12-year NHL hockey career as one of the most legendary New York Rangers. He has since moved to Los Angeles to become an actor. You can see him in Chris Nolan's Tenet and does a podcast with Action Park Media called No Gruffs Given with Sean Avery. Please enjoy. John Avery, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Thank you. It's been long overdue. We're part of the family. I've been listening. And yeah, I mean, I got to tell you, like, you you made getting healthy cool before the quarantine started. Yeah, I feel like I feel like it was a it was a much more uphill battle after the quarantine, like pre-quarantine. We had a couple months where it was like, "Hey, everybody, get healthy with me." And then the quarantine like that's a tricky barrier to throw at people. What did you do to to adjust? I went from uh cutting to a maintenance period for the first 3 or 4 months of the quarantine. I didn't stop exercising. I continued to exercise, but I just focused on maintaining my weight, which was less stressful than trying to lose weight. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, rough year. And you you live here now, right? Yeah, yeah. We just packed up and uh, I was in New York. I was in New York from March until like the third week in November. And finally, we just said, fuck this. We're out of here. We're gone. But you have essentially gone from epicenter to epicenter. Yeah, I mean, it it is much worse here. I mean, obviously, like the last week, it's sort of exploded. Here's here's the difference. And it's funny. I I think um, people in New York are even sort of more relaxed as far as mask wearing. But at least here, like you can be outside right? That's the difference. And in New York, I think people are starting to really, they're starting to lose it. I mean, we left just because the city's out of control. I mean, when they started throwing, when people started getting thrown in front of subways at three in the afternoon in Union Square, that was like, okay, we're, we're, yeah, we're officially out. We're gone. Yeah. My, I have a kid who goes to school in New York and I got her out of there two days before we were officially locked down here. Yeah, that's smart. So she's been home, like, just doing online stuff ever since? She was home. Well, she now is back. She's just gone back after this holiday to New York, and we're going to see how it goes. But she did go back after wow. a, after just under a year. Wow. How how old were you when you had your first kid? Because I, I was... I just had my first. He's now nah, she's six months old, and I was forty. Yeah. So you must have been young. Yeah, my wife was nineteen. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and we have wow. f- we have four girls. You have a daughter. I have a son. A son. Yeah. 
Four girls? Four girls, yeah. It's wild. Wow. It's wild, dude. Wow. I, I think boys are much, much easier. Uh, well, no, I've I, I got to rephrase that. Physically, maybe they're they're more difficult because they're somewhat more active, I've, I've found. But girls get right. really psychological really early, and that, <laughs> it's tough to navigate right. sometimes. Right. Yeah, I, I, I have a feeling that'll be a little bit easier with me having, like, some of those conversations with the son yeah. versus, you know, daughters. But I, I also think that we're one and done. Right. Really? I don't know. You know, I bet, I bet everybody says that, you know, and then, you know, the two year mark hits and you're like, oh, we got to have another one. This is, but I, I was, my brother, I have a brother, there's eight years between us. And when I was 14, I moved away to play hockey and he was only, he was basically like seven, eight. Right. So, I essentially grew up an only child. I don't know. I, I think there's obviously positives and negatives to it. I feel like being able to put all your resources into one kid, it could be something that's interesting. I also don't know, like your wife must be, you know, moms now, my idea of a mother has changed completely to see what they can do, deal with and how they manage. It's like, that's the hardest job in the world, easily. By the way, I totally agree. In fact... An episode that aired a couple of weeks ago, my wife was giving me a hard time because the the girl I was talking to, I, I, I in the introduction, I was like, she's an actress, she's a this, she's a mother. I listed mother as one of her accomplishments, and my wife was like, that's misogynistic. Why would you list that? What does it matter? And I was like, look, I think that's one of the most physically and mentally challenging accomplishments a person can achieve why not list it like if i had that I, I th by the way it's clearly physically much harder and and than what we go through absolutely i think that i think that us having the mentality that that we would list that as a job is not coming from or as an accomplishment is not coming from a place of anything other than like full respect yeah. down on our knees, like hail to the God shit. Right. Yeah. You have, <sighs> you have created a human being in your body. This is a miracle, right. right? Like as close to like an actual miracle as we can get. And I'm, I would only ever, you know, bow down, as you said to that, that to me is that's magic. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I have not had any professional athletes on my show, and I do love to talk about nutrition quite heavily. And I'm just curious, when you go away at 14 to pursue this career in athletics, are you at all diet focused? Are you thinking about that at all? Or is that just something that wasn't an issue for you? I think that at that age, basically what happens is, and, and so when I was 14, it was 1994, which was the boom of the creatine period. That's when kind of creatine came on, on the, on the, on the scene and, and sort of exploded. We were, it's this tricky thing because like, so at 14, we were starting to, like, we were in the gym. Like, we were full-time athletes, right? And I think at 14, 15, you have the, the luxury of, like, having 
crazy high metabolism, being able to eat whatever you want, sort of at that point, we were just focused on like, how do we get big and strong? And, you know, the thing at that point, also 94, there was really no science to it. It was like, all of a sudden, we had this supplement that everyone told us to take because it was going to make us bigger and stronger. So diet wasn't really a thing that we, we now hockey players have certain patterns, like we're very carbohydrated. We rely on carbs a lot. That's sort of the mentality. Yeah. But it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Like at that point, I remember, I remember, I remember, I, I actually, I remember the first time I saw creatine was a teammate mixing it up with orange juice before uh, a practice. And we were like, what is that? And his dad was a, was a, was a Mountie policeman and he was a big fitness guy. And, you know, a 14 year old explaining to us what creatine was, it probably wasn't the most accurate explanation, but no, I, I think, you know, fast forward to today, what actually, when I stopped playing fit, my, my nutrition changed completely because you see guys, you know, I, it's the hardest thing athletes have with when they stop playing one is what am I going to do with myself? And then two is how do I control my weight? Yeah. Because you go from, you know, a hundred to 40 miles an hour overnight right. and you don't, your, your job isn't to work out anymore. So that's the real, that's the, the thing. And, and what I did basically because of that, when I stopped playing, I stopped drinking. And I haven't had a drink in probably like, man, I don't even know, maybe 10 years. Wow. Because I didn't want, if there was one thing, calorie intake was like the big focus. And I never loved to drink. Like I drank because whatever, we would drink after a win or or a loss. It was sort of more of an emotional tool than like, I, I don't really have fun. I never had like, I never loved to drink. So I. I made that decision that, you know what, if I'm going to control my weight and not, you know, f end up like some of my peers, where it's kind of sad to see, you know, you look at guys like, I'm not going to, I guess like Bo Jackson as an example, or I, I don't know, there's so many guys where you see five years after they're done playing, they look like nothing like they used to, right? right? And it's, you know, it's kind of sad. Like, I don't think it needs to be like that but guys don't make the adjustment right they don't figure out how to how do i adjust and part of that adjustment is you have to get skinnier right. like not in the mindset of you have to change your body like you don't you don't lift weights like you have in the past now you should be more focused on like leaning yourself out getting a little bit longer and being a little bit lighter because being lighter is, is a better way to live. Like, uh, I'll, I just am a firm believer in that. Like, you know, you can move better. You can think better. Well, even when I, even when I talk to like bodybuilders and I have uh, professional bodybuilders programming my workouts and my diet right now, but even when I talk to them, they're like, dude, you can't do this forever. Like at some point you're going to have to get, and I'm, I'm two fifty now. I'm very lean. I don't have much body fat on me, but I've been 220. 
I didn't really like it, but in talking to guys who have, you know, PhDs in biology, they're like, you know, for long-term health, you want to weigh less. Right. Well, what did you feel? Why do you, why did you not feel great at 220? Did you feel hungry? No, it wasn't even that. It was more, you know, just like um, a sense of self, honestly. And, and I'm sure you as an athlete could have some some uh understanding of that but but i don't want to pause your mental health but like i spent so long being so big that when i got really small i just didn't know who i was anymore Mm -hmm. yeah no i would say the i would say for me it's the opposite like i i whatever i made a transition to a new career that you've been doing for a long time. So I'm, 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 I'm an actor now and I have, there's a movie that's out right now that I did last year. Tenet? Um, yeah, Tenet. So loved it. I watched it and I look at myself now in that movie and I'm mortified because I've lost probably 25 pounds since we filmed that movie and I am mortified, you know, no. Wait, you're, I, you're mortified. It's, it's funny, like I, I don't even like watching it because I know that's not where I should have been. You, you wish you were 25 pounds lighter in the movie. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I, I personally can't watch anything I'm in, and I, <laughs> I did a movie right as we came out of quarantine last year, and and they just sent me stills to kill and i so i had to remind my agent like i don't do that cuz i just want to kill all of them you want right, to you, you right. say i have a, the ability to kill <laughs> 75% of these well I, I will only be happy if you don't use any of them you know <laughs> right, um, right right so i i i fully understand that i've never once looked at myself in a movie and thought i look good but there was a weird thing that happened when i lost a lot of weight and was really lean and super cardiovascular focused in my exercise. And that was, I just, I just didn't feel comfortable in my skin and, you know, 30 pounds up from that with muscle, I feel great. And do you think that that's because when you initially uh, started your transformation, it was more like strength based and not cardio base because when I got skinny it was at the start of the quarantine and I've run 2200 miles since the quarantine started so I only really associate myself being comfortable at this weight because of how I started the process which was only running I went from being a gym guy to a guy that I don't think I'll ever go into a gym ever for the rest of my life. Really? Yeah. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The first, you know, the first diet I did when it was my decision to diet and it wasn't my parents imposing something on me. Right. I, I, there was no exercise involved. It was all, oh, wow. yeah, it was all just what am I going to eat and how, how little am I going to eat? And, and I didn't actually start exercising for a few years. And my first kind of brush with exercise was in a gym, but I didn't really enjoy it. 
the thing I really loved was riding bicycles. And I spent a Uh, few years obsessively riding bicycles and got like legitimately thin, you know, for my frame and my height and stuff. I was still 220 pounds, but I was like, compared to myself now, I was thin. And that was that road bikes or mountain biking or combo? Road bikes. Yeah. Yeah. Road bikes. And, And I'd ride the track. Like I would go ride the track sometimes but but almost entirely road bikes right but yeah i don't know i got to this point where i just didn't know who i was right right yeah that's interesting what's your like if you had to get really skinny for a role you know like let's talk like uh who would be a good example i don't know i I love christian bale in um, (laughs) in the machinist (laughs) yeah And the machinists, right. <laughs> right? Like, or even the uh, IRA, the NRA movie, um, the Steve McQueen movie. Uh huh. Yeah, I know what you're talking like about. Like, how how skinny could you get? You know, I have worked so hard the past few years at losing fat and maintaining muscle that right. I, I don't know that I would even be willing to do that now i say that right now in this conversation if steve mcqueen came and said right right. you're gonna star in this movie and we need you to lose 70 pounds i I probably am in right i don't know that i could get really below 180 and and at 180 i would look sickly yeah yeah it's funny because like i don't have the ability to diet um like I've always, it, it was something that I, for a year, I started to put weight on, right? Like, and and then the quarantine hit, and I didn't have an option, so I started running. But to think of being able to lean down through food, I don't know if I have the will or the fortitude to do it. Right. I, I'm not sure if I could do it. So you just increase your output. Yep. And, and specifically, and I think it's somewhat similar, like with you and when you were on the bike, I think that there's something, there's something so unique with running and biking for what that does to a person's body, like their weight, what it does to their mind, how it, it lengthens them and leans them out. There's something so unique about it. It it says, I don't know. It's like as pure as you can get, you know, and maybe it's because it's your lungs and also both of those activities, you generally sweat a lot for the most part, as long as you're not, I mean, I I sweat when I run in the cold, but definitely not as much as when I run in in heat. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And there is some, yeah, there is for sure a chemical reaction happening too. you know, when they talk about like the runner's high, I remember pedaling up a hill for an hour and being in a, in a bizarre trance that had, you know, aspects of euphoria attached to it. And that is not something I really get out of weightlifting. I will say I always physically and, and mentally feel better at the end of a gym session, but it's not quite the same as the, the, the borderline high that I would get from doing long cardio sessions. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I think that that's the one thing when I say like, I couldn't see myself in a gym ever again, I guess it's because 
I don't think I would want to trade in the runner's high that I get on a daily basis. And I run every single day. I don't, I don't like if I take a day off from running, it's only because I was either traveling or working and I just couldn't, I couldn't run. But like that high, it's, you know, I've never gotten, uh, I, I've never, uh, I've never tried heroin before, but like, fuck it, that running high on a daily basis. Like I need it to operate. And I also, I always run running's the first thing that I do when I wake up. Like I, I warm myself up a little bit. And if I don't, I never have as good of a day as if, you know, I've woken up and run. Yeah. Like I just, it doesn't feel right to me. Everything feels discombobulated. Yeah. When I was riding my bike, it would be like 5 a.m. wake up, brush my teeth, get dressed, get on the bike and ride my bike for 45 minutes to the, co not even 30 minutes to the coffee shop, then have right. my coffee and actually start my day. But I couldn't even like the idea of brewing a cup of coffee at home. I was still too asleep. I had yeah. to, you know, wake up a little bit more. I totally get it. I, how, how long are you running every day? So I definitely run, I run four miles every single day, no matter what. It's been a little bit of an adjustment since I got to California because there's no flat places to run where I live in Laurel Canyon. When I was in New York, Monday to Friday, I had two different paths. I, I would run along the West Side Highway. So I would do usually four and a half to five on a flat surface. And then on Saturdays and Sundays, this was from March until, until December 1st. Saturdays and Sundays, I would do a, like a timed loop around Central Park, which is six, 6.2 miles. So I, I, I guess I, you know, I try and run at least 40 miles a week. And, and when you're, when you're running around Central Park, are you running literally a circumnavigating it or are you inside the park? Cause I know there are hills inside the park. Oh yeah. There's, uh, the, the Harlem side of the, the, the Harlem Hills are, some of the best hills. The the loop in Central Park, in my opinion, is the greatest running loop on on Earth because it has a lot of nice flats. It has a a, a couple of gradual hills. Uh, the east side is like is like a steady gradual hill. Then you hit Harlem. You go directly up a monster, and then. The west side is, for the most part, coming down. Yeah. So it, it's like I can't explain how I had never been in Central Park, really. Like I'd never really, you know, I'd gone in and just walked in for a second. But the perimeter loop of Central Park is one of the best runs. I, I, I've yet to find something that matches it. So now I'm in California and I've been running this um, trail called Fryman Trail. Sure. Which, yeah, so Fryman, two loops of Fryman is five five 5.2 miles. But it's almost entirely just up and down, though. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. The first half is totally up, like straight up, and then the second half is straight down. So it, it's not as satis satisfying as a run. Like, you don't feel... Um, you can't, there's no breath control. You don't, it, it's, but I also think it, it's actually 
from a calorie standpoint, I feel like I'm, I've been burning more calories because I feel like I'm getting skinnier since I've, since I've been out here because I just think running up hills is just harder. And no matter, even if you're running slower, it's still harder. I did a movie in New York in 2012 and I was still really into riding bikes. And I got to tell you, the West Side Highway bike path was really dangerous to ride a bike on, I found. So I, I rarely did that. But there was a Saturday morning crit in Central Park that I would ride. And, you know, you're basically with the team of, with a with a group of guys you don't know. And so it, right. it does become a race. But it starts off pretty mellow and then it gets cooking. And, yeah, the, there are some legit hills in there. The only thing I can think of for a bicycle out here that's similar, it's not a loop, is PCH right early in the right. morning when there's no traffic um and like how far so on a bike though you could go from venice to malibu and that would be a solid ride yeah and you know look that's a bike path i i don't i don't really i never messed with bike paths because you get a lot of yeah, other kinds of people on bike paths pass. yeah, yeah people on rollerblades and people who are riding bikes for fun and and not really paying attention. Anyway, I find bike paths to be dangerous, but um, if you just hit PCH at like West channel and head North, there's 40, 50 miles of rollers and you're going to get stretches where it's flat, really good Hills, uh, really good descents. It's a nice, it's a nice ride. Yeah. I think I, I, I've had a couple of friends that have told me that I should, that I should, that I should get a road bike. And I, I, I agree. I think now that I've been out here and I've seen the terrain from a running standpoint, it'd be nice to, it'd be nice. I also like kind of fantasize about being able to do it in a group, you know, yeah. with a couple of friends, yeah. which seems sort of fun. Versus, there are, Yeah. There are great group rides out here. Cause like I've only ran by myself since, since March, right. which which is nice. It's nice, but I, I, you know, and obviously we're doing it by ourselves now because we're sort of told to, but yeah, I think I, at some point I'd like to ru- join like a running club out here, which would be kind of fun. Yeah. I, I'm sure there's great, I'm sure, I, I don't know enough about running. So when I think about running i'm thinking of like where's the flattest area possible and that might not be you know i think you're quite a bit advanced from that but this whole idea you know i think like you being a professional athlete and then realizing that your weight you know that's that's years of eating in a certain way that you're even if you're not thinking about it you become accustomed to it then you you must have to think about it if you suddenly go from a hundred to 40. And if you don't, you got to find something else. So it's amazing that you found running. Yeah. But it was only, honestly, it was by fluke. It was, it was because of this. It was because of, of COVID. Like up until that point, it was a struggle. I was, I was, I was in a weird spot. I was trying to figure out how to, how to manage it because I also don't really like lifting weights. We lifted weights for so many years, you know what I mean? And it's hard on the body. Yeah. It doesn't feel good. So, and, and, you know, I have the, the thing with, with food is like, I like to eat, 
And also we were, when you're hardwired and you eat, eat a certain way because it's part of your job for 20 years, it's tough to change that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, Dude, when I think, I think there are so many aspects of the way people eat and are programmed to eat that I don't even think we really understand yet. You know, right? there are a bunch of bizarre studies that I've read that aren't necessarily scientifically conclusive, but the, the Dutch famine and the thrifty gene theory and these studies where it shows how you can have such a drastic change in physicality and genetics from one generation to the next based on famines. And so you have like a mom who's pregnant with a kid who has genes that are telling her one thing. She hits a famine while she's pregnant. The kid's genes are different. Now the kid is more predisposed to obesity and type 2 diabetes and, and things that are associated with excess storage of fat. So I just think like we wake up today in this world where for the first time we have food coming out of our ears, which is a really strange fucked up thing to think because 25 million people still starve to death every year or, or 9 million people, sorry, 25,000 people a day starve to death, 9 million people a year. And yet we have a massive food surplus. They're not starving to death because food is a scarcity. There's an abundance of food, especially in America. And so we have all this really tasty, cheap food. And if you're predisposed to overeating because your genes say, you know, this guy's ancestors starved a bunch of times, we want to avoid that. That's going to kill us much quicker than storing wow. fat. I think we arrive at a place where wow. it it's not always just like – use self-control you know i think there's some programming involved to your point you're an athlete you're programming yourself from 14 to eat in a way that you need to it's not easy to just turn it off yeah I, but you know the other thing too is i don't even know if the way that hockey players eat is actually like the scientific right way to do it i think we eat pasta like pasta is the is the meal that every hockey player eats the day of the game which is what they've been doing for 100 years right. i'm not sure if you're supposed to carbo load that close to competition or if you should have ate your carbs the night before and that and and during the day you should only you know maybe have more greens you right. know what i mean it's it's funny it's like no one's ever really I don't know what the science is behind it, yeah. but but I'll tell you, going from you know being able to eat that way since you're 15 years old and you're told to eat that way, and then trying to figure out how not to eat that way, it's a very difficult thing to do. Like I don't even know if you could compare it to quitting smoking. Like I think it's even different than that. You know what I mean? Totally. You've been you've been eating this one type of food so heavily for a purpose for so long and all of a sudden now you're you're trying to stop. It's it's I don't know. It's very interesting. I've never thought about it, really. Yeah, and you know, smoking is a great thing to contrast this with and I, I think about drugs, I think about 
alcoholic, you quit drinking, you, that hasn't been a problem. But the difference is that you have to eat. Yeah. You know, this right. is not something that you can just discard. Oh, I was using this thing only to play hockey and achieve this goal. And now that I'm not doing that, I'm not going to do it anymore. You cannot do that with food. Right, right. Right. And and yeah. so it does, it becomes really complicated. Yeah, no, you're right. No, I'm just wondering, like, out of that 9 million people, how many of those people are in North America? Or is that a worldwide number? That's a worldwide number. I think very, very few of, of those people are in North America. I couldn't, I couldn't uh, give you numbers, but very few are right. in North America. We, uh, we are not experiencing famines i believe the majority of them are in africa and i actually think that a lot of the issue is not that there's a natural famine occurring it's that there are certain instances where regimes will block groups from receiving food or from producing food and then you get this right right but i mean listen this the really great news is as of today that is the the smallest per capita number the world has ever seen. So oh, wow. the trend is moving in the proper direction. There is some speculation that because of the last year that that graph might move in the wrong direction next year right. or this year. So that's yet to be seen. But it astonishes me every time I go to a gas station or I drive down the street or I, I think about how much I can even th- spend time thinking about what I'm going to eat, that there right. is somebody on earth that's starving to death. Right. Do you think that you're a, a, a better actor at a, at a certain weight than you are at, a, at another weight? Or is it just different, not better? Well, whatever. I don't know. I think that, I think that at, I mean, listen, there, there's a, there's a, an area that I have really excelled at and that's kind of the lovable dimwit. And I can apply characteristics of that to a bunch of different characters. When I look back at my career, I can go, I did that here. I did that here. And then I even did like the evil dimwit in American history X. So there yeah. was, there was like a, a coloring of dimwittedness in that character. Right. That has been really easy. I think at the weight I'm at now, it might be harder to convince people of that because I think that the, the, yeah. the use of my size was a, was a prop that went along with that a little bit. Yeah. I was just going to say that. So like, are, are you, today still dealing with the difficulty of people understanding that you are a new Ethan and like, but you still have a fucking talent. Like, yeah, I've been doing this for fucking 20 years, guys. Like, yeah, I'm not going to lie. It has been, it has been interesting. It hasn't been horrible, but I got really thin the thinnest I ever was was like 2012, and I definitely at that point noticed people going like, "We don't, we have no interest in him at this weight at all." Right, right. And right. 2013, 2014, I said, "Fuck it," and I intentionally gained weight. But I gained weight while going to the gym and lifting weights. So 
I put on a bunch of muscle for a couple of years, but I also got up to like 400 pounds again. And at 400 pounds, I was once again, really interesting to people. But, you know, I, I tore my bicep at one point in there. And I remember going to the doctors to have it fixed. And he said, look, normally this isn't quite outpatient procedure, but we can do this in my, in my surgery center and you go home right away. But because of your weight, we have to do this in a hospital with, you know, extra special anesthesiologists and extra special gadgets to monitor you just because of your weight. And my, and at that point it was kind of like, I don't want to deal with that. I dealt with that kind of shit my whole life. I don't want to be dealing with that anymore. And so I just wanted to get to a comfortable spot where I was still a big guy, but all my health markers were in check. Do you think that, is there a role? There's gotta be, there's gotta be a role that could break that stigma attached to these fucking casting directors of these people that have no real vision that you know are in my opinion some of them just lazy talentless hacks do you think there's a role that just breaks that that's possible it's totally possible yeah i'm sure there is i don't know if i ever get to do that role but yeah i'm sure there is i don't know i you know Given the landscape of the way they're making movies today based on the last year, you know, I don't know what movies and TV shows are even getting made. I think that the the entire industry has gotten so much smaller. Now, I say that with the expectation that it is going to return to normal. And yeah. I say that having done a movie during the pandemic, you know, right. which is fine. I'm, I'm, I have no complaints. I'm. I I worked as an actor for over 20 years, almost 25, and I got to do like really cool movies and I don't want to be fat anymore. So, right, you know. Right. But but there's got to be there's there's going to I I guess what I'm what I'm asking is you know how strong the the power of will is and like I feel like if you will that role to happen, it can happen. Yes. Right? That I agree. I and I and I am not I would not want to tell you today that I feel that will to do that. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. But, but okay. that, that's not to say I couldn't wake up tomorrow with a you know, a bug up my ass to do it. That's possible too. But Today I'm just yeah the climate. Well, to today's climate doesn't help that either, right. right? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think that I hope that I'm I'm excited for when you do get that bug in your ass. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm excited <sighs> at the at the idea, truly, and I think it will be good for all of us that that the potential is there again. That we're not just you know running around scared waiting for this to be over so that we can go back to normal lives and hopefully you know life we come out of this with some better life with better ideas of how to deal with something like this going into the future 2021 everything is going to get better i believe that man i hope so i i just keep i just keep uh 
you know, it's like, I remember that two weeks flat in the curve and, uh, <laughs> fuck, it's you a, know, the, the never ending two weeks, right? It's got to end. Can we talk briefly before we end off about feel better, look better, feel better? Is that, is that it? Look good, feel good. Look good, look feel good. good. Look good, feel good. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, so I, I think sub, subconsciously I had heard the phrase somewhere or, you know, people, it's been a phrase that I, that I've heard. And basically once the quarantine started was, was also kind of when I started the podcast. And I really believe that if you look good, you feel good. But I also believe that if you feel good, you look good. Like, I don't think it's a, I think it's an inside out and an outside in thing. I think it's like almost symbiotic how it works. But I do think that, and you know, I think my listeners and like, there's a movement happening amongst a small group of people who say to me like, I, I like this, you know, I like, and, and part of it is also, it's not just about like, I talk about a uniform where, you know, wearing your clothes, like wearing the same outfit every single day, but having, you know, three or four of the outfits, like taking away the fatigue of having to worry about what you wear and like how that lines up with you walking into a room and looking good and feeling good, like just being comfortable, right? Being comfortable with how you feel, how you look, the decisions that you have to make in the morning, that mental fatigue. It, it, it's all this kind of thing, like just streamline everything. Like routine is good and don't be afraid of that. Like I, I think, I think for some reason we're, and, and think about it, there's a stigma around like, and people say it to me like, dude, do you ever change your clothes? And it's like, yeah, I change my clothes three times a day, but you would never know it because I, w I have, I just put on the exact same shirt. So yeah, I guess the look good, feel good thing that we're, we're, we're trying to ride on is like, be better than everyone else is kind of, I, I kind of take like an aggressive stance on it where it's like, you are living your, your life, right? And there's competition all around you, whether you're competing with somebody at work or, you know, it doesn't matter. You're competing against yourself. You should always be competing against yourself. And I think part of that is having, like, there's standards. And if you look good, you feel good. It's as simple as that. Like, and, and if you feel good, you probably look good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's kind of the motto that we're, we're running with. And we see, you know, I, I, I feel like it's, it works, you know? Yeah. I love that. I, I, to my wife and children's dismay, my uniform has become camo shorts, Crocs and a t-shirt. Right. Um, but that is my uniform. I have six pairs of camo shorts, right? Multiple pairs of Crocs <laughs> and a ton of t-shirts. And this is right. just what I wear, you know? And, and, you know, when restaurants opened here for 10 minutes, I, that was what I wanted to wear out to a restaurant. And my wife said, absolutely not. But I felt, right. I feel like I look good in these, you know? Right, right. But, but, but that's the thing. See what it means? It's like what you were wearing 
helped you feel good, right? Totally. You felt like you were comfortable in yourself and like you, you walk in and you're confident, you know, it's like, that's kind of, yeah, that's exactly what I think we're trying to, I don't know. It's just like a vibe that we're, that, that, that I guess I push. I say we, because like we're doing it together. Like the, my, my listeners and, you know, they, they hold me accountable and I hold them accountable. It's fun. Well, I, I really love it because the standard is you, right? you know, and, and like I've always had four girls to utterly trash what I'm wearing. <laughs> and, and this has worked great for me because it gets to the point where I really don't care what they think, <laughs> you know, right. yeah. prior to the lockdown, my my dress was Solomon like trail walking shoes yeah. and 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 jeans and a t-shirt and I would go my I have my youngest kids go to a boarding school out of the state and when I would go they would literally tell me if you're wearing Solomon's <laughs> we do not speak to us in front of other people <laughs> you know but I just and then when they when I moved over to Crocs because it was like all leisure time now during the pandemic yeah. That, that was that was doubly horrifying to them, but yeah. it, it doesn't matter. Right. Look right. good and feel good. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. <laughs> that's fantastic. I'm I'm gonna take that up. I'm that's gonna be part of my mantra now too. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> awesome, Sean. Oh, man. man, it was it was great to talk to you, and I really appreciate this time. And uh, I look forward to doing your podcast. And now for the Q and A. Mike has a question for you. Hi, Mike. Do you find old photos of yourself inspirational to see how far you've come? Or do you find them to just be painful reminders? Thanks for the question, Mike. Thanks for really putting me deep into that trauma. Kind of just kidding. I guess a little bit of both. Sometimes I look at an old photo of myself and I am able to go like, wow, this, you know, the thing about doing something progressively, especially with your body, is that it happens so slowly and over so much time and you're you're in your body and so familiar with your body that it's hard to sometimes see the change. So looking at a photo from a long time ago and getting perspective on the amount of change that's occurred can be good. And it can also be depressing that I, you know, was capable of allowing myself to get to where I'd gotten to. So I, I've experienced I've experienced that both ways. I think the the more positive way is more beneficial to my life because I seem to do better when I'm thinking optimistically. Thank you for your question, Mike. If you have a question that you would like me to butcher a response to on this podcast, please submit it to AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. <laughs>